Hi everyone, welcome back to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for mental health, love and compassion. It's great to have you with us again. My name's Caroline Heim and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about what is my personality like and is it a problem? Da-da-da-da. Okay, here we go. This is actually part two of a, a three-part series on personality. Yes, it is. So what are we talking about in this podcast, Christian? Today we'll be talking about classification systems of normal personalities. We'll also be talking about personality problems and a little bit about personality disorders, which is something that I work in a lot. And I'll also share the one question which would help all of us relate better to other people. Okay, good. Yep. We hear a lot about personality types or factors. They're sort of everywhere, okay? What are they and when does a personality become a problem? So just using the analogy that I used in the last talk, that the personality is like a body. You can't see it, but it is still a structure. So it's like asking, what are the different body types? When does a body become a problem? And all right. So there are lots of different bodies, lots of different sizes, shapes, features, colors, variety. Eight million bodies in this world. Variety is actually wonderful. Personalities are similar. The variety is wonderful. And each body is suited to different tasks and lifestyles. But unfortunately, we live in a society which sometimes has a very narrow idea of what is attractive and desirable. So we think, oh, if only my body were more attractive, I'd be more popular, I'd be more successful. It's the same thing with personalities. People think if they had an attractive or desirable personality that they would be more popular and successful. But the thing is, there is actually room for all of us in this world. And as a very special person once told me, we all do life differently. And that's actually a good way to look at it. There are many different ways to do life. The variety and the spice makes life interesting. And I, look, I like that phrase, we all do life differently, because it encourages us to be just a little bit more accepting of each other's differences. Okay, great. But a personality can be a problem, can't it? Well, that's right. It certainly can, just like a body can be a problem. If something goes wrong, uh, let's say you break a leg or you get a burn, that becomes a problem that needs to be fixed. All right, so let me take you to the story. Let me take you to a, a cardiology ward on a hospital where there's a young woman who is in atrial fibrillation. So in other words, her heart is going at a rapid rate and this becomes something of a medical emergency. I was called to see her because she was very reactive. Uh, she was uh, very, very distressed. She couldn't talk coherently. She couldn't contain her emotions. And she was very, very anxious. So they asked me to come and see her. So I sat with her and listened to her and reassured her. Now, this person at home is normally fine, but because she was very distressed, she was very scared. This was very challenging for her because she thought she might die. So some of her behaviors were somewhat erratic. She hid her fears very well. Here's the thing. I worked with her for a few weeks and it was actually her personality, her pattern of thinking and feeling that was a problem, not her heart. 
after we talked about it because she was somebody who had quite intense emotions, but she hid them very, very strongly. So the body found, in a sense, another way to let the emotions out. And that's the reason that she ended up in atrial fibrillation. When we spoke and found some healthier ways for her to express her emotions, the heart didn't have to do that. All right. Now, I know that sounds a little bit airy-fairy and uh, magic, but that's actually what happens. The body and the mind are actually very, very closely connected. So something in her personality that then affected her physicality, her phys- well, her body reacted in, in a way. That's yeah. a very good way of putting it. In fact, if you put yourself in her shoes, it's very hard to know what's going on in somebody else's mind. But she was getting very anxious. She had several stressful things happening in her life. Plus, then she became very aware of what was happening in her heart, and she started to fear that she might die. And so this became a big circle inside her, and she got more and more and more anxious. But she's very good at hiding all of this. Mm. Nobody knew this is what was going on in her head. So in her head, she's a breaking point. But to look at her, she was fine. So there was all this distress going on in her body that she was containing and pushing down. So the body found a way to say, you know what, I'm in trouble. We're having some problems in here. Somebody's got to listen to me. And that's when the heart kicked in and said, I'm in trouble. And so she was rushed to hospital for a medical emergency for something that ended up being a personality issue. Okay. So... What about different types of personalities? All right, so let's start talking about the classification systems. All right, Hippocrates, a doctor thousands of years ago, worked with thousands of people. He noticed people's different state of minds and different personalities. And he came up with a system, well, we think it was him, uh, where he thought of people in terms of four basic personality types. So he decided some people were what he would call melancholic. Now, melancholic actually means black bile. So he saw these people as reflective, analytical, a little bit cool, uh, and they had dark moods. Then he saw other people as what he called choleric. And this is yellow bile. And he saw that they were ambitious, quick, and very forthright, and sometimes got really irritable and agitated quickly. Then there were the people that he called sanguine, which basically just means blood. They were energetic, warm, sociable, liked to touch other people. And then he saw other people as phlegmatic. These are people who kind of slow and steady, perhaps a bit stubborn, persistent, or they go with the flow like watery phlegm. Now, Hippocrates' idea was that the colour of each of these body fluids kind of lent itself to these different personality types. The black was for melancholic. The yellow was for the ambitious cholerics. The red was for the energetic sanguine people. And clear phlegm was for the persistent phlegmatics. Now, the thing is that nobody, of course, knew how these body fluids actually influenced personality. And nobody knew why other body fluids didn't get a look in. I mean, imagine having a personality primarily influenced by urine, okay? (laughs) Hippocrates didn't think of that one. So we don't think of his mechanism as being scientific, but that doesn't quite mean that he wasn't onto something. But I'm going to get back to that system because somebody came up with a system mm, surprisingly like that last century. 
But before I get onto that, I'm going to talk about the Myers-Briggs system. The Myers-Briggs classification system basically classifies people into one of 16 personalities. And this is based on the theories of Carl Jung and refined by other people. Now, Carl Jung was a psychiatrist, a psychoanalyst, and he spoke deeply with a lot of people. And he started to see these tendencies in people. He saw that some people have a tendency to be very extrovert, whereas other people had a tendency to be introvert. He also saw that people had a tendency to be more thinking or more feeling. And he also had a few more categories like sensing and intuitive or perceptive or judging. And from his theories and refined by others, we come up with what's called the Myers-Briggs personality inventory. And that basically puts people in one of 16 personality types. And there are a lot of books on the subject and you can go to the internet and find which of the 16 personality types you actually are. Yeah, a lot of people are doing that at the moment. Yeah, it's yeah. actually a lot of fun. It is. It All right, is, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, by the end of this, I'll, I'll sort of see uh, what we can do to have this fun, but also make it useful for ourselves. Because the bottom line is that all of these classification systems help us know ourselves better, but also appreciate the different kind of people that are out there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's all very interesting, but it, only if it really helps you does it make really a difference for your mental health. Well, that's what I want to emphasise, yeah. all right? And all of these classifications, now bear in mind these are of normal personalities. These are people who are not having problems. All right, so next is the five-factor model. Now, this is probably the preeminent uh, classification system in psychology today because it's probably got the most science behind it. The science that it has behind it is analyzing the language descriptors that we use about personalities. A lot of surveys were done on people and they were asked to describe themselves and other people. And we looked at all of these words and they brought it down to these five big factors. And they looked at all the different variables and sort of said, yeah, yeah, these are the best ones to look at. So here are the five factors. They go by the acronym OCEAN, O-C-E-A-N. First one is openness. Are you open to experiences? Are you curious, in which case you're open, or are you more cautious when you're less open? The next one is conscientiousness. If you are conscientious, then you are an efficient worker. If you are not, then you tend to be careless, maybe even lazy. Then the third one, the E, is extroversion. Do you tend to get your energy from people, being an extrovert, or away from people, being more of an introvert? The A is for agreeableness. Do you tend to go with the flow and please people? Or are you more challenging? You know how to make a stand and you stick to your own guns. And then the last one is what is called neuroticism. Um, are you sensitive to upset or are you more secure in yourself? Now, a lot of people look at this and you'll find that there's a large scale of differences. You can be very open, you can be very extrovert, you can be less agreeable. There are a lot of different possibilities. And I have to emphasize that none is actually better than the other. They are all different, just as we have all different functions in life. So we have our unique blend of the five-factor model. That's so important because so many um, things in, in the media and that say you, you need to be this kind of a person to be accepted and, and um, 
Yeah, and so you, you, you're pointing out that there's not this one type. There's, yeah. There isn't a one type. However, there are studies that show, for example, that if you want to be successful in life, it helps to be conscientious. Okay. Now, that just makes sense. That just means that you work hard. Yeah. So that's actually common sense. You don't need a personality inventory to tell you that, right? If you work hard, you will get the results. Okay. Okay. And the other thing, agreeableness, all right? Um, it's actually easier to be around people who are agreeable, right? Um, because they're easier to be around. That's the definition of it. But that doesn't make it better. It's not a valued judgment, okay? People who can stand their ground and be less agreeable, right, sometimes have that truth that we need to hold on to. When everybody's off going with the flow, off with the fairies even, sometimes it's the less agreeable people that have the solid wisdom that we need in society. And the tenacity too. Okay, so what other ones? What other, other ones? types are there? Okay, a lesser known one, but one that's actually very important as far as I'm concerned is called the temperament and character inventory. Uh, this was developed um, by theorists of child development and research clinicians and child psychiatrists. And this is the one that's most linked to childhood development and brain chemicals. So there's a lot of science behind this. And uh, because it talks about temperament and character, it's the one that I think describes more of what's actually going on in the personality than any of the other ones. Okay, so we talked about temperament in the last um, podcast. It's that musical term. Yeah? Yes, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's that musical uh, term that means tuning and the way that we chime in with other people, all right? And the temperament is the personality factors that you inherited from your parents. Now, Robert Cloninger is the one who put most of the work into this, and he came up with four temperament types, harm avoidant, novelty seeking, reward dependent, and persistent. Now, you don't necessarily need to remember those. They're on the internet. But here's what I find the interesting thing. They really seem to correspond really neatly to Hippocrates' four types. The harm avoidant are basically the melancholics. The novelty seeking are basically the cholerics. The reward dependent are basically the sanguine and the persistent are basically the phlegmatic. Although earlier I said that there wasn't much science behind what Hippocrates said, perhaps he was onto something but didn't quite know why. All right, so the other part of this inventory is the character, right? And we talked a lot about character last podcast where we talked about valued aspects of your relational style and they're basically related to your beliefs and your values they learned from your parents your teachers your role models but here's the important thing as you get older you get to choose your character and your values more and more and i'm talking about things like honesty fairness loyalty and generosity so can you choose the opposite of it too <laughs> yes you're free to choose <laughs> you're free to Negativity use dishonesty and dishonesty and, and manipulation oh and betrayal yes you're free to choose all of that that's right okay and, yeah we may laugh about it but in a way that's the point you can actually choose aspects of your personality last podcast i said that you've got to play the hand 
that life dealt you. But character in particular is what you can choose to just change your personality. And I have seen people who have been in prison and they have said to me, you know what? I've got to make different choices. I have learned that it's not right to hit other people. What more can I learn to have a better life? Now, I've, I've worked with somebody like that, and it's just beautiful to see somebody change their personality, move their personality around, and the way that they do it is by picking up character traits that are useful to them in life, and it's beautiful to see. It takes a lot of courage, too. I've got a lot of admiration for that man, I've got to tell you. Yeah. Okay, so when does a personality become a problem, though? Because we're going to be talking about problems, and we've met some problem personalities in our lives. We all have. We all have, and all right, here's the bad news. In a way, we all have problems. We all have personality problems. There's not a single person that you're likely to meet that doesn't have a personality problem. The most I can say is that somebody hides it very well, okay? Mm. Even successful people have personality problems, right? In a sense, the message of all of that is to be a bit more comfortable about that and accept your set of strengths and weaknesses while still working on your weaknesses to get to where you want to be. Nothing wrong with that. That's really good. But here's the bottom line when it comes to personality. A personality really becomes a problem when you can't function anymore because of your personality. When you can't get on with people, when you can't hold down a job, when you can't grow and reach for what you want, that's when a personality becomes a problem. Okay, some examples. Somebody makes a lot of money. They think they're the ant's pants, they're puffed up with themselves, but because of that, they lose friends, their partner leaves them, all of a sudden, it's a problem. All right, being shy is okay, but if you are so shy that you can't get out there to get a job or you won't leave the house, then it's a real problem. Being talkative and excitable is okay, but if your friends avoid you and you lose your job because you can't focus, that's a problem. Even being anxious and controlling is okay, but if your partner leaves you because you're too controlling and your kids hate you, that's a problem. Being intrusive and even being bossy is okay, but if the people you work for put in complaints because you're a bully, that's a problem. Even pleasing people, in other words, being really agreeable, that's okay. Being very well-liked is very okay. But if you get exhausted because you're constantly trying to fulfill other people's needs and you end up stressed out and you've got to take time off from work, it's a problem. Lots of problems. Lots of problems, that's right. So what causes these problems? I'm going to divide these problems into two main issues. First of all, normal people, as I said, all have a problem like this or problems like these to some sort of a degree. Now, I'm going to call this people who are normal but immature, okay? And this is something we all need to overcome. And then there's a group of people that I work with very closely, the people who have personality disorders, this usually comes about because something happened to them 
that was not their fault, some sort of trauma or childhood issue, and because of it, they're not functioning well in society and they need to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. So let's look at the first one then. What is a normal but immature personality? All right, so let's look at the word immature. What does it mean to be immature? It kind of means not quite grown up, right? Uh, 23 going on 12, okay, or 47 going on 16. Immaturity is actually characterized by selfishness. Now, before we start making judgments, remember we are all basically selfish because we all have a self around which we organize the world. We all perceive the whole world according to ourselves. In fact, when it comes down to survival, all right, we are actually very selfish because nobody actually wants to die. It's a survival instinct to be selfish. And think about what it's like to be a child. When you're a child, it's all about you. The younger you are, the more it's all about you and your needs are being catered for by other people. All right, humans, human children are dependent on their carers for a long time. If we look elsewhere in the animal kingdom, bald eagles live for well, 35 years and they're about six months dependent. Okay, so for about 2% of their lives. Cats live for about 15 years and they're dependent on their mothers for about six months. That's about 4%. Pandas, about 6% of the time. Orangutans, they live for about 35 years and have about seven dependent years. That's 20%. Now let's go to humans, all right? Humans live for about 80 years and they're dependent for about 15 to 20, perhaps 25 years right? That's 20 to 25% of the lifespan. They're dependent on their parents. And here's the other bizarre thing. Most other species in the animal kingdom die after they've reproduced. But no, we humans, we live on a whole lot longer. We live on for another generation. And here's the theory that each child needs two generations to be successfully developed into a fully mature adult, okay? That's how important the development of children are to us. All right, so let's think of being a child. Feels good. Feels really good because as a child, you have people working for you, all right? Mm -hmm. You've got parents, you've got grandparents, you've got teachers, you've got caregivers, you've got a whole lot of people making sure that you're okay. Great to be a child. Great to be a child. You're taken care of. Taken care of. Who would want to leave that? That's exactly right. Who would? And, you know, the subconscious truth is nobody. Nobody really wants to leave that. That just feels really good. And anybody who's made it to adulthood goes, you know what? This adulting stuff isn't all that much fun. It can be a lot of hard work. But here's the thing, the aim in maturing children is that they grow up to be independent adults that can contribute to the human race, pass on skills and knowledges, and then even have children of their own, okay? All right, and life has a way to make you grow until you can give to other people. Okay, yeah. So that's really important that you get to that point. Otherwise, you're forever a child and you're always just taking. Well, and it's like there are all these points along the way. It's like life is put together 
to teach you to be less selfish, all right? Um, because being an adult hurts, leaving home, getting a job, feeling real loneliness, becoming dependable, reliable, mature, holding down a job, being an adult hurts. But it's all part of life, all right? So playing games as a child feels really good. It's part of the bliss of being a child. Adults get to play games too, and it still feels good. But you can't just play games all your life. You have to mature. If not, you stay immature. Mm. Hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. It is sad. It is. Okay, so suffering is part of maturing your personality. But isn't suffering bad? Well, nobody likes it, let's put it this way. And as a general rule, particularly for me as a doctor, suffering is the enemy, okay? It's actually my job to alleviate suffering, okay? But your normal bite-sized type suffering can actually strengthen you. It creates what we call resilience. And the best analogy for this is a tree. Now, trees don't like storms, all right? A, a big gusty storm can really throw a tree about, all right? But here's the thing, in throwing it about, it's actually strengthening the tree trunk and strengthening the branches, right? But if it's too much of a gust, or if it is one lightning bolt, the tree may snap. So childhood is a bit like that. It feels good and it's relatively comfortable compared to adulthood, but there's still suffering and that actually makes you strong. So that you grow and you learn from that mistake or that thing that happened to you or that hurt or whatever it happens to be. Well, yeah. Did you ever break your leg or something like that? Yes, I did. <laughs> did you learn anything from that? <laughs> well, uh, quite a few things. Yes, yes. Yeah. Never to break my leg again and never to go down on my scooter down that big hill. <laughs> <laughs> And the pain that came after that, okay, yes. Okay, yeah, it's painful, isn't it? Yeah. You mean trauma. I will get on to trauma, but here I'm actually still talking about just the normal pains of growing up, even in a happy family. Growing pains. Break a leg and it'll teach you your limits. Pain builds resilience. The pain and emotional challenge of puberty helps us to know who we are. As Nietzsche said, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And he was right, but only to a point. Because I have seen people who have gone through pain and trauma that's been too much. And that does not make people stronger. But anyway, back to normal childhood. All right. So uh, we're talking about becoming an independent, thinking, feeling, loving adult. Here's how the suffering helps. Uh, well, take me as an example, okay? Because I'm the eldest in my family. Yeah. Right. And there was a time long ago when I don't even remember, it was just me and my mum and my dad. And they were doing things just to make sure that I was okay. Then two years later, I have to share my parents with a sister. I have to share my food, my toys, my clothes, everything. Okay. Then I go to school. I find out that I'm only one of a whole lot of other kids. I'm not that special anymore. Okay, I'm finding out that I have to be less selfish and keep my needs back so I can get on with other people. I find out that other people are better at things than I am. This is all good lessons. Then, 
as you go through school and make friends, you actually keep some of your needs back so that you can get on with your friends. If it gets to the stage where you start having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you look for a partner, you're starting to see that there is somebody else in the world that has needs equal to yours. We're already a long way uh, from when I was five, when my parents were basically there at my beck and call taking care of my needs. Then if you commit to a long-term relationship, you're committing yourself to taking care of somebody else's needs just as they commit to taking care of your needs. Then if you have children, you have to set aside your own needs and wants because you now have human beings reliant on you. You can't just eat when you feel like it. You can't just feed them when you feel like it. You've got to find a routine. You've got to give them care. You've got to give them a stimulating environment. You've got to give them love. All of a sudden, they become more important than you do. And then when you become grandparents, you actually find yourself taking care of children that aren't yours. So what I mean by all of this is built in to the cycle of life is a system whereby we have to grow to be more selfless. We have to grow to be more mature. Otherwise, we're stuck in a childish state. So life is one big, long journey towards selflessness in a way. In a way, yeah, if we can achieve that. So it's good not to be selfish. Okay, now it is normal to be selfish because of survival needs. But if you remain selfish then you can become narcissistic, which means that you are taking care of your own needs and you feel that you are entitled to things that other people aren't, when the truth is you're one of 8 billion other people trying to get through life. Now, some people become narcissistic or more selfish as adults because they didn't get to be a child for long enough. Or when they were a child, they were indulged and they stayed a child for too long and didn't get on with this process of maturing. And they still yearn for childhood when we all have to take our place. Really important. Take your place, yeah. Take your place because we'd all like to be children, right? Uh, and you even see that in some people who had the aim of making so much money that they can then pay people to do the things that their parents used to do for them, get them meals, do all the housework so that they don't have to do anything. And it's like being a child again. Mum or dad, can you get me breakfast? Can you make my bed? Can you get me food, toys? Can you pay for my travel needs? And that becomes a personality problem. And many rich people who indulge themselves go back to having this problem. It's like being a child. Or another way of being a child as an adult is when you have tantrums as an adult because you can't contain your own emotions. Like a child, it's I want. Or adults that lie, steal and cheat and manipulate other people to get what they want. It's like being a child. I want to have what I want. Or there are other people who stay a child because they don't want to be hurt. They're afraid that other people hurt them, so they're suspicious of other people. They're even suspicious of friends. Or... They want to control other people. They want to be in charge, just like a child. So some people become too controlling and too bossy. That's a personality problem. Some people fear failure because it hurts too much and the parents aren't there to tend to their wounds. 
That's a personality problem. And there are some people who fear success because then they would need to take responsibility instead of having other people take care of them. This too is a personality problem. So the bottom line of all of this that I'm saying that all of these mild personality problems is when people still want to be a child rather than an adult. But life is a package deal. It contains fun, work, responsibility, as well as love and conflict. And maturity is having a personality equipped to handle all of those. And really important to move from selfishness to selflessness in That's this the journey. Aim. That's yeah. the aim. That's okay. the journey towards selflessness. Yeah. Okay. So what does a good personality look like then? Well, there's no right personality. It's actually a matter of relating well enough to people and being comfortable enough with yourself, other people in the world. And basically, it's a balance. You have to be flexible enough to go with the flow, yet centered and stubborn enough to know when to take a stand. You have to be curious enough to get out there and explore the world, yet you've got to be cautious enough to stay alive. You've got to be diligent enough to work and get things done, but people would like you to be laid back enough to really enjoy playing as well. You've got to be sensitive enough to other people's pain, but there are limits. You've got to be hard enough not to be crushed by other people's pain. You've got to be extrovert enough to enjoy being with other people, yet introvert enough to feel comfortable being alone. And you've got to be generous enough to fulfill somebody else's needs, yet you've got to be taking enough to get your own needs fulfilled. And that's when we're talking about being in a relationship. And on and on it goes. That sounds so hard. It's very complicated, okay, if you have to be working on this all the time. What if you feel that you're just not good enough? Okay, here's the thing. All of us feel to some extent, not that I can talk for the whole world, okay, but in my experience of having heard the life story of thousands of people and talked to many people, it is almost without exception that everybody feels this way to some extent. But here's the good news. You're actually okay. We're in a society where there's a lot of pressure to be successful. There's a lot of pressure to be wealthy. But let's think of it this way. What do you think about the bird life around where we are at the moment? It's absolutely amazing. We have so many different types of birds. Every morning, four o'clock in the morning, they start, and but they're also beautiful. They are. And I'm glad that you said that because, in a sense, that's the point. Okay, so let's look at the personality of some of these birds. We have kookaburras, which I think of as being wise but larrikins. We have cockatoos that I see as being very cheeky. We have currawongs that are the music experts. We have crows. Now, they're big bullies. Oh, they're bullies. That's right. <laughs> and then there are the minor birds. They're nasty. They're nasty. Yeah, they're the little bullies. Yeah. Right. Then we have magpies and butcher birds. Now, butcher birds to me are curious. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. They come and eat our crumbs after lunch and they always want to know what we're doing. Right. And then there are the rainbow lorikeets. Beautiful, just, but very chatter, chatter boxes. Chatter boxes, yeah. yeah. And what about the Brahmini kites? Gorgeous, just wise and soaring the skies. and Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. And then there are the plover birds. Now, the plover birds are not my favourite, okay? Uh, we go for a walk across a meadow 
And we have these two plover birds. And because their nests are away, they start dive bombing us. They're on high on some sort of caffeine. It's just awful. That's right. They, they screech at us. They, they start waving their wings. They, they're just awful. And they dive bomb. And they're a real nuisance. But here's the thing. I wouldn't want them exterminated. Okay? There is room in this world for plovers. There is room in this world for crows that are bullies. There is room in this world for minor birds that seem to be really annoying. It is part of the richness and the environmental beauty that we have around us. Now, it seems in our society that everybody wants to be an eagle, a condor, a falcon, right? But some of us are kookaburras, magpies, lorikeets, and even minor birds. And the variety of this world is just wonderful. And look, in a sense, this comes back to an earlier podcast when we talked about getting a sense of self-worth from who you are, not what you do. And I have a very good friend that I have to say has been extremely successful in this life. And yet this person is really very dissatisfied, very angry and very irritable because they haven't got everything from life that they wanted. And that's a pity. That's a pity. It's like the body. Some people do win a genetic lottery. They become models and they feel good about that. But it brings other problems. Attractive people can feel very alone and unsure if anybody loves them for being people. The personality is the same. There are some people out there with an attractive personality. But every personality has strengths and weaknesses and everybody has problems. Okay. So, yeah, we've all got those problems, that's for sure. But what about people with big personality problems? This is what I spend most of my time treating, people who are trauma-affected. Things have happened to them that are not their fault, yet they get stigmatised and have very hard lives. These are people who were neglected, abandoned, isolated or abused in their childhood in some way to varying degrees, and it can take years of work. Often we're victorious, often we're doing our best to try to overcome a very difficult situation, and it's, look, just heartbreaking to find out some of the things that have happened to children in our society. All right, so we're talking about personality disorders. The main ones that I want to talk about today are a narcissistic personality disorder and a borderline personality disorder. And look, in the future, I'll have a podcast devoted just to these. But there is one question that I work with in these people, and it's a question that actually we could all put to ourselves to help us improve the way we relate to other people. And this is the question. How am I coming across and what's going on in the other person's mind? You see, somebody who is suffering from a narcissistic personality disorder, somebody who is selfish and very entitled, tends not to think what's going on in the other person's mind, what do they want or how they're coming across. They tend to think in terms of their own wants and needs. And also somebody with a borderline personality disorder tends to think in terms of their own emotional needs and often forget to look at how they're coming across, and what's going on in another person. And here's the thing. That is a question that we could all ask ourselves to help us relate better to each other. 
Look, it's normal to have personality problems. We all have strengths and weaknesses. There's no right personality. Variety is the spice of life. And your personality is pretty much okay unless you have a personality disorder, in which case, seek help. The real art in life is being content with who you are while growing towards who you want to be. And the one question that I want to leave you with, how do I come across to other people? And what's going on in other people's mind? This will help you optimize your personality strengths and manage your personality weaknesses, which we will look at more closely next podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. And as Christian said, we're going to be looking at some of those different personality types in future podcasts. But for next week, we're going to be looking at how can I change my personality? We'll see you then.